Hey, did you hear? Kanye has done Trump a solid, doubling his ratings among African-American men. This time on Poll Hub, polls that make you go, hmm, why the black dude loves the Donald poll was not exactly that, and how some reporters completely choked on getting that story even close to correct. And robocalls, love them or hate them, okay, nobody loves them, they seem to be surging and consumers are angry. The government has tried to stop the robo-tsunami with rules and regulations, but as we'll discuss, that's mainly hurt legitimate organizations who use phone calling software. Domo arigato! Let's get started. Machine o Secret, secret, I've got a secret. With parts made in Japan. Secret, secret, I've got a secret. And hi everybody, this is Poll Hub. I'm J.D. Dapper, Director of Innovation here at the Marist Poll. And I am Lee Mergoff, Director of the Marist Institute for Public Opinion. And I'm Barbara Carvalho, Director of the Marist Poll. So uh, everybody was talking about recently um, this uh, thing that Donald Trump, uh, happened with Donald Trump and the polls, which was kind of surprising on its face, which is that he appeared to have doubled in popularity among African-American males. This coincided with Kanye West, uh, one of the biggest rap artists of the era, uh, apparently being very favorable towards uh, Donald Trump and also stepping his feet into the waters of whether slavery was um, uh, something that uh, was voluntary. Uh, Okay, I'm just going to stop. Talk to me about this poll and how we have gotten into this story. Okay, so the, it's, it's it's a quite a sordid tale, and there's lots of detail in it, but I think we can probably dispense with it with a few simple facts. Um, first of all, this was a non-probability online sample. So a lot of folks who know about polls put absolutely no stock in this to begin with, and places like CNN, which reported on this, pointed out that this poll would not even make the standards of what they normally report on, but because of the president stirring it all up, they felt an obligation to do this. Because the president tweeted about that. That's great. And also talked at the um, National Rifle Association. Have you heard the latest? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And so this poll was actually done by Reuters Ipsos, and again, it's an online Non-probability poll, we've talked well, about non, those. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about non-probability, but why don't you talk a little bit about how Ipsos actually does that and well, what that means. Well, I think what they were talking about here is that people sort of volunteered to yeah, participate. Opt they opt in, and so as opposed to being picked and sort of having a known chance of probability of getting selected, here people, so, you know... These are like these polls that like Lou Dobbs and 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 yeah. you know and left and right politicians and, and and TV personalities run and say and they're really loaded questions and then oh a major well no wait no 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 no, no no hang on Reuters that. Ipsos is is okay. does, does not go that far okay. right. um, they actually do uh, make an attempt to measure public opinion um, in a non probability way yes which means that they're not trying to estimate the likelihood that some Someone can be selected, which can be an issue, uh, but it is an experimental way of approaching polling right now. And there are credible organizations that are doing that. And I don't think uh, Reuters Ipsos is set out to, um, you know, really uh, cause this kind of confusion about what polling means. In fact, their uh, director of polling pretty much said, no, you can't say this. 
what Trump tweeted. And this is that he went from 11% to favorability is, rating among African-American males yes, to 22%. Yes, that it had doubled. So, it, had so doubled. it wasn't African-American males and females to begin with, even though the president make, didn't make that distinction. Well, but, but, but Reuters, Reuters does about 350 interviews a day, okay. uh, uh, almost 11,000 interviews a month. And uh, so on they the have... On the internet. On the internet. And they have this, this tracking poll where they look at, um, you know, polit political questions, but lots of questions of the day, uh, which they use for, you know, their their news making and, you know, um, kind of interest for, for readers, listeners, and viewers. Viewers. Yeah. I'm sorry, were you going to jump I, in? I was just going to say, but, but here's how the train left the station. Uh, so President Trump talks about this and says, have you, at the NRA convention, when I saw the number, I said, this must be a mistake. How can that have happened? Even the pollsters thought it must be a mistake. And that's sort of true and sort of not true because the people who did it said, yeah, but it, don't put any stock in it because the sample size are too small even within our own methodology. So why, so, would, why would they release it? Well, well, because you do you do release subgroups, but you you need to be cautious about then comparing those subgroups over time. So, for instance, in their month of April, they had about eleven thousand interviews online. Again, a non-probability survey. But the issue really wasn't so much the methodology, but rather the interpretation of a small subgroup of individuals. So the the margin of error, which we like to talk about in polling, which can be very wide for small subgroups, um, you don't want to take a lot of stock and put a lot of stock in the results of, of very small subgroups because the margin of error is so wide. And what was it and in this case? In this instance, well, they actually is, technically don't have a margin of error. They have what they true. call a credibility interview because it's non-probability. You can't even calculate a, a margin, margin of error. In this so this, this but, is kind of an anagram for a margin That's error. right. And, and what they have is plus or minus 9%, which, means, uh, which means technically 18 One way. Uh, well, technically. So he could have gone up or his, down. His number could have dropped among African-American males. So right. let's go back. Let's step back and let's take a look at what the scientific polls said for the month of April. Yeah. And actually, the scientific polls were all pretty consistent, and there really wasn't much of a change from the month before. Um, I know we were polling earlier in the month, and we had uh, high single digits. We had eight, uh, eight points um, among African-Americans, not men. We wouldn't drill down that That's even um, between That's men and women subgroup. because the subgroup is so small. You'd get, like, huge margin of errors right. in that case because exactly. it's just such a tiny number of people you're yes. talking to. Yeah. And so um, if we look at Gallup, if we look at Pew, if we look at CNN, um, if we look at all of the public polls that measured the uh, president's approval rating over the month of April, you had some, you had a range of the high single digits to kind of the low teens, and that's pretty much a, you and know the sense of President, where Reuters Ipsos was. President Trump would like to well. call this the. Kanye effect, right. Kanye, Kanye, yeah. Kanye effect. Sorry, and uh, not so fast. Yeah. So, I mean, this gets me back to the question I asked earlier, though: is why would you even release this? And yeah, I get it. We release subgroups, but mm -hmm. as you yourself just said, we don't break it down into male and female, you know, subgroups in, in 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 by breaking down by race because you get to these tiny numbers and they can be misconstrued. Isn't there some responsibility? There's clearly responsibility on the part of the press here, and they failed. Some members of the press 
failed in reporting this accurately. Some probably in, in, in and, some members of the well, media, went, not the press, did media. so for, for a reason. It, it the, president, media the president either didn't read it or purposely misled, you know, whatever. And, and politicians well, do that with polls it. all he, the time. He always, he, tweets, he always tweets news he likes. Right, but isn't some of this on the pollsters? I think that, um, well, what we do do, who do do? Yeah, that's exactly what we did. We, that we is a fair description of this poll. We definitely stepped in it this time. It wasn't we, dry yet, as our friend yes, would say. From Texas, absolutely. <laughs> but uh, we we have we have kind of cutoff levels. So for most for most pollsters, we use a um, what we call a cell size or a count of the number of people we've interviewed um, of about a hundred, which we then say if you fall below that, you you really shouldn't be highlighting those numbers. And I don't think Reuters Ipsos was highlighting the numbers. No, this was pulled out by some somebody yes. who exactly. Found it interesting. So they had two hundred interviews uh, because they have such a large sample size that they do online. They had 200 interviews of uh, African-American um, men. And so I think that it's, it's fair for them to have released it. Uh, they certainly didn't interpret it um, in that way. Um, it was, you know, pulled out for political reasons. And one of the issues we have with um, transparency in polling is that in fact you can pull out very small numbers and so there's really a balancing thing here because on the one hand we want pollsters to give you all of the data behind what they're doing you want them to break it down you want to see yeah. if there's any you know oddness in the in the numbers and the only way we can do it is so if they do um, release it, it yeah. and present it. So I guess it. the bottom line in all this is it's good to make the information available, but you also want to be able to use it responsibly. So this is an example of when we're talking about non-probability polls and probability polls, one of the things we've talked about a lot here is that as a probability polling organization, scientifically based, uh, uh, Marist, there's Quinnipiac, there's a few of them, we go to a lot of trouble and a lot of expense to reach people in a way that uh, allows for a non-probability for a, prob a non -pro probability, a probability sample, yes. right? Yes. Uh, and that requires, at least in this day and age, as we currently sit here, using the telephone. Mm -hmm. um, there is the downside of telephones in that something that's clearly it's happened to me a lot in the last few months. My the first three digits of my area code, the first three digits of of my dialing code, so the first six numbers of my cell phone number, I get calls with those first six digits four to five times a day. And I can block every one of those numbers, it and the next matter. day there'll be different ones. This robocalling thing is driving me personally mm -hmm. up the wall. Um, talk to me a little bit about this. This relates to polling, and we'll get to that, but this relates to polling. Talk to me a little bit about that. An automated process and a, and a terrible misuse of the technology to begin with. But do you want to measure it on what robocalls are? People are sure, getting them all I mean, the time. robocalls I are them. automated calls. You're, they're using a computer to uh, create numbers and to dial vast lists of phone numbers. Um, one of the things that you talked about is the fact that they can now mimic uh, both the area code and exchange. And very often, some of the other um, uh, banks of numbers in the rest of your phone number. So, so it, it can actually. It looks like a familiar phone number. And it can even actually it look like your own number. In fact, I've gotten a robocall with 
my number. What are they doing with these things? I mean, and I, so they're just trying to create a way to have people uh, pick up the 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 phone and answer the phone so that they can um, identify first of all that it is a real number so they can continue to call you back and pass that along um, to and sell that list to other robocallers um, but they also want to in very uh, in, in a number of uh, instances they're also trying to sell you something um, I often get um, robocalls for solar solar panels um, you can get it for uh, Medicare you can get it yeah, uh, for the IRS. It, it, it's uh, endless. Hounding yeah. you. And okay. So, I, right. I had so, my hearing checked not too long yes. ago, and I've now gotten calls from all kinds of folks trying to sell me all kinds of right. age-related things. So <laughs> right. just leave it Well, they that. may yeah. have just gotten your age from Google they or done that or, or, or AARP yeah. or, or something. Or a poll <laughs> last week, but that's something entirely so different. So this software, though, <laughs> has legitimate purposes. It's being abused, clearly, yeah. by scammers and robocalling yeah. companies that um, are dodging the law. There are laws against this. How does this affect what we do, though? Because we dial landlines and cell phones. In fact, it's critical to reach cell phones if you're going to get a, a, and, if you're going to get accurate. the reality yeah. of what America is right now. But this software is really no longer available for us to use. Well, what happened is, um, and I think we've talked a little bit about this in past episodes, but um, the TCPA, which is the Telephone Consumers Protection Act, uh, of, originally of 1991, which was... Um, enacted by Congress so that people could not auto-dial um, pagers because um, if anybody remembers what a pager actually was or is, I don't know if they still exist as a technology, um, but they were mostly used by doctors, first responders, people who needed to be on call in emergencies. So it made a lot of sense not to um, to, to exempt them mm -hmm. um, from, from auto-dialers. Um, as the technology developed, we now all kind of have a pager. It's called a mobile phone or a cell phone. Mm -hmm. So um, the Congress continued to keep mobile devices um, under under the TCPA. And what they did was they exempted um, research firms medical doctors, um, a whole host of different uh, organizations and businesses that were still allowed to call the mobile phone using an auto dialer um, because of the fact that there's no really any other way that they could and, be. And let me just jump in and say an auto dialer doesn't necessarily mean a computer or a robocall. You can still have an auto dialer reaching a phone number and then having a live person doing the interview. So that, that's, yeah, that's a that's a good point. So but I, during the Obama auto administration, auto sound like somehow um, but but so mysterious. so Congress enacted the TCPA, the FCC, Federal Communications uh, Commission um, is is charged with um, writing the regulations mm -hmm. for for that legislation. And during the Obama administration, they took a very um, literal um, and very broad. Uh, definition of what an auto dialer was so that for instance your cell phone could actually be an auto dialer because you have a list of contacts and you can call them all call mm. them all or call one and you know do that automatically without having to dial And this is the first the time they had made a, a change based on the content, not just on the technology. So, well, no. so in a sense, everybody, I'm sorry, on the technology, not the content. So everybody got thrown, you know, the baby and the wash 
all got thrown what out. What that means is that anybody who used an auto dialer was um, basically could not dial a mobile or cell phone number, regardless of the intent. And what has been happening over the last three years since this, uh, since the regulations were changed, is that they have then been saying, "Oh, okay, it's okay for um, it's it's okay for organizations who want to alert." people in their organization, for instance, of um, some kind of a, a critical occurrence. Or schools closing, anything like that. Schools yeah. closing, um, your doctor's appointment, sure. so they can yeah, now remind yeah. you. Yep. Um, things that we all get reminded of. But and polling so they've allowed organizations them. have not been exempted yet. No. No. Yeah. So, so we with, manually so, so that, dial everything. Right. So what that meant before was not that you had students uh, that were or that robots posing as students going, "Hello, I am <laughs> Robo from the Marius Bowl." It was that you had uh, a, a software system that dialed numbers, and as soon as somebody picked up, it clicked through, so a student could say, "Hi, I'm John from the Marius Bowl, and yes. I want to yes. you know, ask you questions." Or the interviewer could simply, you know, press a button and get a phone number. Didn't have to so, manually dial. Right, that's it. what I mean. But but so so the the, the so, software dialed the phone, but did nothing else. Robocallers are, as you pointed everything. out, d- are very distinct from that. Yeah. Lee, and that they they are the technology of dialing the number, but then it's all this other garbage on the other side, and that's that's all automated. So is this changing? And if it does change, has has the has it already been spoiled? You know, well, have people already let's been marry so... both sides of the story? So, on the one hand, we have all you're getting all these robocalls, and then we show up to try to do a legitimate survey, and it makes it harder. Hopefully, and this is something that there's been some court cases now, and presumably the FCC has been charged to, uh, you know, provide a more a clearer definition of what an auto dialer is. Our entire industry is hoping for some relief from this because it really, you know, damages productivity, creates confusion, mixes everything but, but together. Jay, but Jay, I think yeah, Jay's think question is really important because yeah. has the damage already been done? Yeah, exactly. I think it's being uh, well. I think it's a, a a relative question. Yes, there is damage done beyond repair. No, because we're still able to successfully conduct our surveys it's just making it much harder and increasingly so and we're looking hopefully the, for some relief and the reason why we're getting so many robocalls right now is there is an expectation that the trump fcc um, will be more pro-business uh the organizations do not believe that um, legal action will be um, sought against them. So you're having this incredible now influx of robocalls because no one thinks that yeah. they're going to be penalized. Right, nobody's going to get caught. That, that's why my and phone drives scary, me crazy. Here's yeah. a scary thing. I was reading the New York Times on um, May 6th. There was an article, and it said, well, sometimes you get these robocalls, and it says, you know, if you don't want to get this anymore, press 1. And we talked about that. And I did it a few times. I pressed one. And then I read in this article that by pressing one and saying, do you want to not hear from us? And I say, yes. They now have my voice recorded saying yes, which could be matched up with all kinds right. of things yep. where I am now officially saying yes. Yeah, block the call just on your phone. Yeah. Just yeah. flip just back the to the con, hit the I with a little circle around it on your on your cell phone, and then there's an option to block this call or block this call. And go to the app store. And, and there's, go to, there's, and go, there's lots of, there's and there's lots apps, of apps that there can do that. There are apps that. And eventually... 
people. Well, to, no, we're hoping, we're also yes. hoping that um, the providers, telephone providers, will take some responsibility. And hopefully, the, the software does exist for them to be able to block the spammers. And uh, hopefully, that will be the case and allow reputable yeah. organizations you know and research the, firms to. Yeah, the New York Times referred to this as having a tennis net and trying to stop a flood. That's what we're doing right now. And then so it has to be a little bit stronger. Probably a good analogy. We started out by talking about a poll that was done uh, by uh, Ipsos Reuters that um, I was particularly harsh in accusing journalists of failing to do a good job on. It's actually something we've talked about a lot, and we know that a lot of journalists actually listen to this podcast. And I'm a, a former journalist, political journalist, 25 years, so I, I'm uh, not Once being— Once a journalist, always, always right? a journalist. I'm still a journalist, right? Okay, so I'm not being uh, critical for the sake of being critical. Um, I certainly failed— uh, in reporting on polls to understand as deeply as I do now all the intricacies of what goes into creating good polls versus polls that maybe they're not bad polls, but they are not as good polls. And um, uh, an association that is uh, near and dear to our hearts, in fact, a bunch of our staff are going off to Denver next week to go to their national convention, annual convention, um, has released a, what's called a cheat sheet. You want to talk about yeah, that? Yeah, American Association of Public Opinion Research is relying on some groups uh, which we've been members of over the years, National Council on Public Polls and others, who have developed very painstakingly things journalists should be looking for in polls, and they don't just have to report all this, but they just better check things out. And it's sometimes very simple, like what were the actual wording of the questions? What were the orders of the questions? Have there been other polls on this topic? We've talked about margin of error. That's a biggie. Who conducted the poll? Is it sponsored by someone who might have a stake in the uh, in the outcome? Uh, when was it done? Timing's a big deal in politics, so we want to know that. And other things like probability sample, non-probability sample, things that increasingly are going to be putting journalists, not that they don't have enough to do, but serving in that function of a gatekeeper to try to sort out what's good and bad and hopefully depend more and more in this era of poll proliferation on providing, you know, these this stuff looks more legit. I've understood it. I've worked with this in the past. They have a better track record. Have you had personal experience in this over the years? I mean, you, you've been polling, doing public opinion polling, and the media, especially first in New York City and, of course, nationally now, uh, has come knocking at your door uh, for 40 years. Mm -hmm. uh, have you had personal experience in, in thinking, how, how did they not get that right? Or why didn't they ask this question? Or why didn't they listen? Uh, all right, here's, here's the thing that, you know, if you want to say really gets you, okay, the margin of error. That's very often all you're told about a poll methodologically, that so-and-so is ahead by such-and-such and three points, and the margin of error was plus or minus something. And then people think that some margin of error, poor margin of error is so misnamed. It's not actually an error. It's a range that we accept polls to be in. But unfortunately, it got called a margin of error somewhere along the line, and that's what stuck. Um, the problem is that margin of error works on each candidate. So if I'm doing a Trump-Hillary Clinton poll, the plus or minus, let's say, three points works on both of them. It's not the, the difference, the margin between them. So, for example, if someone's ahead by four points, ahead in quotes, and the margin error is plus or minus three, it sounds that four is more than three, when in reality, 
the, the, what you're looking at is statistically significant would be plus or minus three, which is six points, three in each range. So technically, the four is uh, is not but something you would you would put the mortgage up on. And We're the problem all is that of we, polls, though, yes, now. absolutely, and and everybody is guilty to some degree of trying to measure without the statistical purity of what we're just talking about. But but how do but I think what we need to focus on is well there's a lot of polls and how do we figure out uh, if they're good or bad? And sometimes journalists will help us do that and sometimes journalists won't. And I know that you know, one of the things which is not, you know, technically, you know, um, something that you would find a statistics class, but as we have mentioned in a, in a couple of examples this time, is it's kind of just like the smell test. Does this make sense? Does what was does do these results seem to just even anecdotally to me ring true? I, I and heard a poll to, about an online poll about Donald Trump's support doubling among African-American men. So so the thing doesn't, is, doesn't um, seem right. <laughs> I think these cheat sheets are wonderful because they at least provide a guide, a checklist mm -hmm. of things that you can ask, that you can look for. And most importantly, if you can't find some of these things um, on about the poll that you're looking at, then you should probably discount the poll because what's real important is this issue of transparency. So you should be able to find the question wording, the margin of error if it's a probability poll. Um, you should know whether it's probability or non-probability. And that is at least a first step to know that the organization is making an effort to be transparent and to have a public discussion about what the results are. What are you going to do if you're a reporter in Indiana and there's this primary that just wrapped? Um, but, mm -hmm. you know, a state like that where there's not a lot of major media organizations mm -hmm. that have the funds yeah. to to uh, pay for polling. There may not be a university that has a polling unit. Mm -hmm. uh, just being, Indiana sure. may be none of these things, but I'm, I'm yes. saying a, a state like that. And, there, and, and your readers or your TV viewers and, mm -hmm. are really interested. And so I'm the reporter and my editor or my producer says, yeah, I, I, I will probably put the poll yeah. in your story. Right. Well, I, it, it's a hard slog totally. for me to argue, but this poll, which is the only poll we've had in seven weeks of this race, is actually non-probability, and because it's an internet, you know, buddy, put put it in your story. I'm too busy. Shut up. Mm. <laughs> I mean, and then and I think on. it's the, look, it's the responsibility. Look, it's the responsibility of all organizations, but I think we each individually have to take responsibility as well for the information that we pass along. Um, I think social media has taught us that. Um, it's wonderful to have that kind of information and access to that information, but it does also take responsibility from everyone to make sure that we are not passing something along so, that isn't So true. everybody has to step up to the plate, and in election polling, it becomes even more important. Oh, we're going to have fun. <laughs> And that'll do it for Poll Hub. Poll Hub is a production of the Marist Institute for Public Opinion here at Marist College in Poughkeepsie, New York. And our executive producer, as always, is Mary Griffith. Without her, we would be nothing. Domo arigato. We also would like to express our appreciation to the Roper Center Archives at Cornell University, who provide us with the ability to look back at trend data, at survey questions, and results over the decades. They got lots of stuff there. Go to their website. Yes, and you can check out Poll Hub on social media. 
at Maris Poll on Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, and send us questions either on social media or at pollhub at maris.edu. And of course, don't forget to subscribe. Subscribe.